Hello, this is Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a great pleasure to introduce this podcast, where we will be discussing the paper Towards the Definition of Neurodisability, a Delphi survey, written by Morris, Janssens, Tomlinson, Williams, and Logan, which is in the December 2013 issue of the journal. It's going to be discussed by Dr. Chris Morris of the University of Exeter Medical School, Exeter, in the United Kingdom, who's the first author, and Professor Christine Cans, epidemiologist at Grenoble University Hospital, France, who's written a commentary on the article. Please, can we start with you, Dr. Morris, to outline the paper and its background? The need for a definition in this project came about because we were looking at which outcomes should be measured from children and parents' perspectives for a group of conditions that are variously called neurodevelopmental disabilities, or in the UK, the term neurodisability has become popular. And for the purposes of the research, we needed to know exactly which group of children and young people we were focusing on. We were somewhat surprised that there wasn't a definition that was widely accepted uh, available, and so we added this as an additional piece of work to the project that we were carrying out. I'd like to acknowledge the team of people that, that work with us on this, all the authors listed. There are also a group of parents who work with us on the project, and they were crucial to ensuring that the definition that we produced would be written in accessible language, that it was acceptable to them, and that it was meaningful to them, in that they could recognise their children within the, the definition we produced. The project that we were carrying out involved an online Delphi survey with health professionals working with children with neurodevelopmental disabilities. And after drafting an initial version of the definition, we asked the couple of hundred health professionals to rate their agreement with what we produced. And we also asked them for their feedback on each iteration and refined the definition consultation with the team and the parents that were working with us and then sought further agreement in subsequent rounds. Once we produced something that had produced more than 90% agreement between the professionals in our survey, we were interested to know what would be thought outside the UK of, uh, of what we produced. So we invited national representatives from the European Academy of Childhood Disability and international collaborators with the CanChild group at McMaster University offered them the opportunity to comment on the definition and provide further feedback, including whether there was a similar grouping of conditions in their country and what that might look like in their languages. There wasn't universal agreement with the definition, both in terms of the word neurodisability or the precise language, and, uh, but there did seem to be, in other countries, this group of conditions being aggregated together for different purposes. I would like first to comment on the terminology that is used, which is one of the main focus of this paper. And, um, for instance, uh, you mentioned the no developmental disorders definition from farmers in 2006, which is a definition 
which is used in U.S. and other countries and which is maybe not so bad. And I would like to ask you, Chris, why people in your group were not satisfied with this definition? And I uh, listen, and you describe very well that you would like a definition where parents can recognize their child in this definition. But was there something in this definition proposed by farmers that didn't fit with what you were looking for? I think we found it a useful starting place, but were also interested to learn from other definitions. So I, I, we didn't start with this definition as our first port of call, but we looked around at other definitions that have been produced across conditions and in consultation with with the parents accessibility was very important to us yeah i and i think this is quite laudable to have acceptability by parents there my worry will be more when we have some problem with terminology and um Either we can use something existing or something that exists that is not satisfying for such and such reason. And in this field of childhood disability, I understand very well why you were looking for a group of children with similar conditions as a research outcome. My question will be more, why are we trying to get another category or another name for something that we can find in the literature, but in very different words, and either in the literature or when you are speaking about comprehensive words for parents. For instance, if we look at Wikipedia, sometimes we can find some more comprehensive things for parents. And very often we have got the word developmental, neurological or developmental disorders. That's something, for instance, that the project, the rich project, who uh, uh, end up with a deliverable developing uh, taxonomy for child health research. Uh, they use an either neurological disorder, either developmental disorders, and the term developmental is quite good for children. If we look at Wikipedia, or for instance also I have been looking at WHO, and you can find some neurodevelopmental behavioral intellectual disorder, very often, maybe one thing that can preclude the interest of this world is that in developmental disorders, very often it is related to psychiatric disorder rather than to motor or intellectual impairment. And that's something we can find again in the word pervasive developmental disorder. Or the word developmental very often is related to behavior or to psychiatric disorder. So maybe it was something that worries you to have the word developmental or to keep the word developmental. And so you made some efforts to produce a definition in your research group that fits with uh, expectation from parents. And I, I think this is a very good thing. It's, an it's a really interesting point, Christine, because I'm, I'm not sure we did consciously to avoid having the word developmental in there, but you make a, a very apposite point that there would be implications. I think we were we used the word neurodisability really because it's become culturally very acceptable in the UK to talk about that mm -hmm. as a group of conditions. But as, as you say, it, it does 
allude to the fact that these are not just children, they are children that become young people and subsequently become adults. And so by using the term neurodisability, that does avoid this age connotation over and above the fact that these are conditions that begin in childhood and are long-term conditions. I mean, some of the things that, that, that aren't in the pharma definition and aren't in all uh, some other examples that we might find on the internet, you know, are the fact that these, this group of conditions might be congenital, but they might also be acquired, mm-hmm. um, that although they're long-term, they can be variable. And the key thing for us, and, and a consequence of involving parents, was that many parents don't actually get a named diagnosis of a syndrome or a particular condition. But there, there's clearly a neurological problem which is manifesting in functional limitations. And, and it was very important that that group were identified within the definition. So there are just some key points that were important for us. And also the fact it's important to recognise that the conditions are lifelong. Yes. The definition you propose essentially for children and not for adults who, for instance, may have a traumatic uh, road accident, got some mental disease. So for me, the word developmental just means the same as what you put in your definition, like congenital or acquired long term. I think this was your purpose, Chris, and not to produce a definition that should fit also with Alzheimer's person? Uh, that was certainly the context in which we were working. It was a definition that was useful for mm-hmm. children and young people. And the survey that we carried out was with professionals who work principally with children and young people. So I wouldn't suggest that the definition was valid for adults or that but there certainly there may be potential for exploring whether this definition or uh, variants of it might be applied in, in adult patients. Mm-hmm. And also pro- probably the situation is very typical from United Kingdom in which you mentioned, and I think now it's clear for everybody, that you have got this um, no-disability speciality, whilst in other countries... They have got, we have got uh, no pediatrician specialty, or this is the case for France or Germany or Italy, they are more of some uh, no psychiatrist. So the no disability professionals in UK are more related to child care and not to adult care. Yes, I understood properly? Uh, yes, uh, that's correct, Christine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So anyway, I think the idea to have this group of children with disability. And you explain very well in your paper that you, you wanted to be out of this other kind of, what I will say, declared disability or declared handicap. For instance, when you make a survey, or in France we have got some such kind of national survey, and you ask to some person, do you feel that you are disabled in uh, such and such function or such and such uh, body structure and there you will have answers about people with asthma or people with diabetes or people with other chronic conditions but we that are not the one you were working on so I think it was good and a good idea to try to have a more homogeneous comprehension of what we called 
childhood with neurologic disability or neurological condition. Then maybe the other comment for me is doing this, it's good because our parents with these children and also uh, us as researchers, we can identify smaller group of disabled children. But where I think we must be careful is that doing this, we should not exclude some other children with disability and with very similar disability as those that I understand are in your definition. In the definition you propose, for instance, I am a bit worried by the fact that we say it attributed to impairment of the brain and or neuromuscular system, and you specify, not in the definition, but elsewhere in the paper, that the, you don't include here the musculoskeletal system. And I have, for instance, the example of children with arthrogryposis, who have children with severe motor impairment, and if and long-life impairment. If we look at your definition, I am afraid that these children will not fit with what is in the definition. And I feel worried with the fact that some children that have same needs as a child with cerebral palsy, but he has got arthrogryposis and not cerebral palsy, will be excluded from your group. And uh, the question of arthrogryposis, it's a rare disease, and so probably you will tell me uh, it's not a lot of children concerned by this disease or this disability, okay. But for instance, what about deafness? Because deafness or genetic deafness is not an impairment of the brain, neither on the neuromuscular system. So do you include children with only deafness in your group? Well, I think you raise a very important point to highlight. Um, Rather than for me to use this discussion to say whether specific conditions are in or out, I think it's more useful to say that we seem to agree that there are conditions which are quite different, for instance, asthma and diabetes, and there are some which are closer to the margins uh, without having produced explicit inclusion and exclusion criteria. It's, it's less clear and still open to debate amongst the community of people working with these children, either in research or clinical practice, as to whether the definition should encompass them. So, so yes, I, I would agree there are a number of conditions th- that would be on the margins of this definition. Myself, I'm a pragmatist. I mean, the, the definition should be useful for the purpose that it's been created, mm-hmm. um, rather than exclusive of of things based on interpretations of causality of conditions. I should say we we had substantial agreement and substantial interest in the definition and some positive feedback that it was it was helpful. We we benefited significantly from the feedback we received from people in our surveys and perhaps this definition would be a starting place that it, if the community feels that it's useful, then it could be refined over time to include some inclusion and exclusion criteria, which would clarify the position regarding these conditions where there's uncertainty about whether they're included. But, uh, you know, whether a, a toe bunion or potentially a, a, a congenital club foot with no other features would be different to, you know, neurological conditions where... A club foot is part part of it, you know, spina bifida 
those sort of things. So, so I think further work would be required to address those very important issues. Yes, I agree totally with what you say, Chris, and that uh, I'm really convinced that for your research purpose, it was very good for you to work with the other professionals and to have this agreement also with parents. The question might be how the community will react on this and the community can be different from the UK community and from the other countries' community. And I appreciate very much your work since I am responsible of a register of childhood with disability. And when I started this register, we were wondering which disability. And of course, we didn't want to have the asthmatic or diabetic children. We were wondering about children with cardiac disease. And finally, we end up with registering children, what we call in France, is no sensory impairment. But I think they're very close to what it seems you include in your definition because we have got in children with motor impairment. But whatever the system or the body structure involved, we register children with intellectual uh, impairment, or now it's rather more politically correct to say intellectual disability. We register children with sensory impairment, and we register children with pervasive developmental disorder or autism spectrum disorder. So we restrict the concept of childhood disability to a group of children that was more pertinent. Or I like your sentence when you say that you want to derive consistent and reliable assessment of the prevalence of such children. And it's exactly what we wanted to do in our registers. We have got two registers like that in France. So I am really convinced that the need for good uh, clarification of the size, of what the description of the children for which we can follow the prevalence rate or that we want as a research outcome is really important. Myself, and maybe you are more um, in the future, myself, I get stuck in with the fact that I need to register or to have criteria for each type of disability. And I cannot find a criteria for all. So for us, we define criteria for motor impairment, for intellectual disability, for sensory impairment, for autism. And I could not reach the step where that you maybe succeed to do in your group to have uh, an overall definition or subcategory. So I stay with the no sensory impairment or for me, the definition from farmer is not so far from what we are doing. And there I would like maybe to end with this question. So you did a really interesting job in your group. Now, if we want to see if the community wants to go further with you, probably it will be important to have this inclusion-exclusion criteria or severity also level of the disability but also maybe to start again, but just make a literature review of what has the term used and what is inside, because this is one of your hope, maybe to have some international consensus or agreement on this group of children. And for me, it's necessary to make a literature review and to follow the ICF terminology before being able to go to the international
There's been some very interesting work by Janet Reed and Claire Blackburn in the UK on definitions of disability more generally. And, and so that could be a foundation for, for that work, and I'm sure they'd be very interested. And they've written a report recently for the Chief mm-hmm. Medical Officer in the UK, mm-hmm. um, specifically about prevalence in neurodevelopmental disability. They are, they've argued for a long time that we need robust data, and in order to achieve that, we need to be very cognizant of the definitions that are being used to define those prevalence uh, figures. But what's most important for me, really, is that that data is then used to plan services appropriately to respond to the health needs of those children and young people and their families. You know, I'm struck by your point for the need for classifying abilities in the different functional areas where cerebral palsy has led the way with the functional classification systems that are specific to cerebral palsy, but had such an impact and become widely used and you know, another piece of work that could be looked at is whether variants of those classification systems could be used across neurodisability or across neurodevelopmental conditions, you know, subject to examining the validity and the reliability of doing that. But I think, you know, first we need to know the number of children and and then also um, have a clearer understanding of their, their health needs and then really lobby services to respond appropriately so that we can optimise the health and well-being of this group of children. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, for the lobbying, and for the lobbying we need one group, one world. On the scale, there I don't know, and I don't know what will be the future, if we can have a scale, like a generic scale for all these children with no developmental condition, or it should be each time specific scale. So there we are in between, but for describing the children... We need to go by category of impairment, I'm afraid of. But I don't know, and the future will uh, say and, uh, how it will be. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with that as a conclusion, Christine. It's all a matter of what the purpose of the definition is and, and the purpose of classification. You know, what's the question we're being asked? Because in some context, condition-specific data will be the only answer. Mm-hmm. And in other contexts, a subgroup of disability will be uh, more appropriate. And then in even other contexts, aggregating neurodisability with asthma and diabetes may actually be the right way to go in terms of answering a different type of public health research question. I, for one, would be very keen to hear from anybody who who is interested in uh, refining the definition or uh, looking at its applicability in different settings and... Um, Really, this is just a sort of beginning point because it works for us in this study and uh, another study which is about research priorities for children with neurodisability. Certainly, we welcome that both indirectly or as well uh, as correspondence if that was appropriate. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Thank you both very much, Dr. Christopher Morris and Professor Christine Cairns, for a very interesting and rather challenging perspective on an important issue. The, the international perspective also clearly adds a lot. Just to remind our listeners that the article is Towards the Definition of Neuro- Neurodisability, a Delphi Survey by Morris et al., and it appears in the December 2013 issue of the journal.